back to uh, booking confirmed. Christian and, Dennis, Christian and Dennis here. I don't know what episode we're on, but we'll list it when we publish the thing. Christian, how you been, bud? Good. It's been a while. Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. Happy to be in here. Recording a little episode. Talk a little short-term rental real estate. Short-term rental lifestyles. It's a... Uh, it's not often glamorous, but you were just telling me today that you uh, you had to do some some work today. <laughs> but again, yeah, I mean, like, every day is a little different. You know, you never know what you're gonna get. I, you know, I've been doing some mini split repairs recently, not personally, but dealing with mini split repairs. You know, the seasons change; it goes from cold to hot, changes the functionality a bit. You know, if you have any issues going on, they'll show their faces right now. Um, been working on that. Um, doing some new photos of the property. Okay. Does uh, does the age of your house, or to the degree that you tore it apart and put it back together, give you any more peace of mind regarding like how much work you need to do on it per year? Yeah, I mean, the newer a build, obviously, the less uh, maintenance and repair cost you should have, and even capex for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if it was a remodel, you know, the, the more you gutted it down to the bones, if, you know, depending if you got into plumbing, electrical, yep. you know, heating and air, different things like that. And then also something for me, I mean, I, I, I saved a lot of money yeah. on my mini split install mm-hmm. specifically by hiring a, you know, non-licensed technician yep. to install it. However, you know. I may have a little bit more maintenance. More maintenance, yeah, yeah. It, it's a, uh, it's always going to be an opportunity cost. I know, I know. We talk a lot about, you know, it's not your house, it's not for you. Um, it's really about the cash flow, what you can get it for, what you need to put into it, how fast can you turn it, so it can be a, a, a performing asset. But part of that too is, you know, stuff gets old. Windows need to be replaced, roofs need to be replaced. Like there's things about every project. That are quirky and uh, it's a lot, a, lot, a lot like your kid. Like, if you own it, oftentimes you see the blemishes other people don't. At the same time, you have to be able to to decide what you're willing to live with and what you're willing to put off for what period of time, given what kind of income it can produce for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I listen to a lot of different investors and and kind of some of the more seasoned investors. I wouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them kind of kind of get to a point in their investing portfolio where they only want like a class properties is that a class meaning like year less than 10 years old well no just like really high-end properties more luxury properties yeah, yeah. so you know fully dialed really nice less maintenance yep. uh, a higher end tenant yeah um just because of the different issues they have with you know maintenance and repairs and also dealing with different tenants you know i'm definitely not at that point i don't have enough pain points on you know, I have mostly B-class. I did buy some C-class properties and improved them to B-class properties. Yeah, for sure. Um, or saw the potential in those neighborhoods as they were they were kind of like, you know, turning yeah. as I got into them. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a preference. You know, everybody has preferences of, of what type of properties you're going after, what level you're going after, where they are. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a wide range of associated to those yeah um you know the higher the higher level property you get it's not going to have as as high of a return immediately because more people want them yeah yeah well i mean people i think the younger people are people are thinking this idea of like what 
what is a lifestyle business that I'd want to do? Can I make soap and make enough money to live the life that I want? Can I do, you know, marketing jobs, logo jobs? The idea of like short-term rental operating is a lifestyle business. Yeah, it, sure. it does. It, you know, the goal is to free up our time to re reallocate that time on doing projects that we want to do. But it, it's a certain lifestyle that you're entering into, and part of that is the idea of repairs as needed, right? So we'll do we'll do a little bit of portfolio update between you and I a little bit later. But let's do a quick market update. It, we're coming on November. Sometime early November, November fourth. So the 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 weather's cooling down. Interest rates just got hiked again. Yeah, uh, you which you know, which means that you know, if you're a seller, the, pro the the market is not validating what you probably want out of a property. But that doesn't mean it's not a bad time to sell. It doesn't mean it's not a bad time to buy. So give us a quick market update. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's there's the real estate market as a whole, and then you know what we more focus on here at Booking Confirmed of, of the short term rental market. Mm -hmm. Right. So as a whole, it's definitely turning towards a buyer's market, which means it's better to be a buyer than a seller. Um, you know, and it, it, it has it's already been turning, but not all sellers know it yet. Right. It takes a while for, you know, a recession to kind of hit the real estate market. Um, it's starting to affect it and trickle in, you know, properties that are for sale or sitting on longer days on market now, you know, back in the height of you know, kind of the post-COVID boom. Yeah. Um, stuff was flying off the market in hours, days, multiple overpriced offers. Yep. You know, now you're seeing price, you know, properties sit there for weeks to a month to a couple months mm -hmm. uh, being normal. So days on market's longer. Um, and, you know, you're not getting as many, you know, full price offers, if any. Yep. Um, you know, buyers are, are coming in with, you know, wanting more, you know, from a seller. So it's definitely shifting. Doesn't mean you can't sell a property and from, at all. And from a short-term rental operator, we're, we're hitting kind of the shoulder season between summer ending and kind of winter snow, other sports starting. Is that right? Yeah, and the market definitely slowed down uh, on the short-term rental side. I mean, I had uh, my, for the first time since 2014, since I've been operating, August, we made less money in August than we did in July. August, typically every year, is our biggest month. Yeah. Um, in July being the second biggest month, then June, then May, then September, you know, and it, yeah. and it kind of trails off on those sides, right? Um, but this year, for the first time, July was our biggest month. Okay. Um, which, there's there was a ton of pent-up, you know, demand, so that's part of it, but also I think, you know, as, you know, talk of recession was coming, uh -huh. you know, someone said we were already in a recession at, yep. as of August, um, I, just, I just think a lot of travelers decided not to take that last trip. Take a last trip, save their money. They didn't know what was coming. Um, yeah. So from their side, it's like cash. If cash is getting scarce, people want to hold on to cash for have some reserve in case something bad happens. Even though nothing bad happened in August, nothing bad happened in September. Uh, they're right? planning for the future. They're planning for the future. But from a planning from a short-term rental operating perspective, at, is there certain intervals throughout the year that you're looking at the performance of your properties and then adjusting? Um, Kind of your lifestyle, living expenses, uh, you know, accordingly, based off of either first half performance or quarterly performance. Like if 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 August is usually your biggest month and it didn't perform, that obviously affects the, the rest of your year. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it depends on 
on on what your personal mm-hmm. economic income situation looks like. Yep. Right? Like if you're living if your rental property is just investment yep. and you have a W two job yep. that you're living off of that and you have a budget pertaining to your W two job, it doesn't really matter, right? Because yeah, sure. you might just be reinvesting that money anyway. Yeah. As long as it can cover itself, which you know you shouldn't you don't want to have a property that can't cover itself. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Um but um if you're like me where you don't have a W-2 job, and no, you are living off of your rental income, sure, it matters. I've got enough buffer now yeah. because of like the scale I've built up totally. where I can pretty much live the you know the life. But still, even me and Holly, we talk about like, hey, it's winter. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. time, to, time to buckle that belt a little bit, right. you know, yeah. be a little thriftier, you know. More chilly. No more <laughs> huge, you know, purchases. Less eating out, more chili. I mean, I gotta get my skis. I mean, I just went and bought bindings, nice. and new skins for my skis. So I'm yeah. not like, yeah, just We're shutting not, it down for sure. But no, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm definitely more conscious of, you know, how much cash I got available. I've got some lines of credits available. You know, cash available there. You know, I, and I, I, I like to see those stay. You know, balances stay. High, yeah, yeah, for well, sure. the balance is low, but yeah. the available cash, for sure, you yeah. know, high, and, yeah. and that's kind of my backup plan at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah, I've but been, I've been a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, I've been the in same my approach. I, I opened up a, a HELOC on a property. I still have a, a personal line of credit, so avail, available lines would needed. Now, obviously, the higher interest rates go. Absolutely, you you don't want to use them if you don't have to use them, but you kind of have to look at the risk versus reward, time in, money out of of you know. If I if I leverage that fifty k or that hundred k now to convert a garage into an ADU, how fast can I get that performing for two k a month to go ahead and repay? Like it's all it's all that that risk reward kind of mentality. Yeah, and you gotta you gotta run the performer, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, when when I when I had HELOCs that were at three yep. percent, I was taking as much out on those things as I could, yep. and just buying new properties. I wouldn't let any balance sit there, right? Yep. Now they're up to you know seven eight percent depending yep. on your rate. Um, I'm like, you know, I don't want to use this, but if I can still make, you know, 30 to 40% cash on cash on my rental properties, yeah. well, even if it's at 8%, it's still great. It still makes yeah. sense to do it. Yeah. Um, I don't love it, but you know, I'll still do it. Yeah. I, well, we're going to get into a little bit of assessing your, the, the value uh, in each property a little, maybe a little bit later, but talk from a, a short-term rental operating perspective, talk about supply and demand of the market right now. Yeah, so we've seen a shift um, kind of, you know, post, you know, COVID happened, a lot of short-term rentals exited the market, right? Just exited the market completely. So as COVID kind of came off, off of COVID and people started traveling a little bit more, it was a great time to own a short-term rental. You know, people had, especially in a rural area, like where we are, if you were in a big city, it sucked. Yeah. But if, if you were kind of more in, in rural America, people wanted to go there, they wanted space, they wanted, they didn't want to be in a hotel, they yep. wanted ca- contactless check-in, check-out, yep. not to be with people, they wanted trails, you know, the outdoors, the beauty. So, you know, you know, people up here, if you had a short-term rental, you were just printing money, which was great. But then everybody else saw yeah. Right. And said, wow, all, the, all these people who have short term rentals are crushing it. I got to get on this game. And so like the, the, the you know, the, the supply of short term rentals that kind of entered the market, like, you know, starting in the, you know, summer 
2021, mm-hmm. you know, was just unprecedented. Well, in every back house, uh, granny flat, in-law suite, um, came online because people were like, oh, I have one of those. Yeah, and if you had a rental property and you were like, man, I got a, you know, a, a, a long-term renter, yep. like, I got to turn this into short-term. Yeah. And so, you know, for the first time in the last number of months, um, supply outpaced demand. Yep. Demand was still going up, mm-hmm. but supply outpaced it. And so, as a result, um, average daily rates came down slightly. Occupancy came down slightly. So, if you want to keep your occupancy up, you had to drop your rate yep. a little bit. So, ultimately, you're making less money top line. Yep. Um, you know, if you, if it still performed well, which all of my properties do, I mean, I reanalyzed all of my properties based off the last 12 months, a few, um, like last week, and they're all still doing really well. Yeah. You know, they're all still in the, you know, the high 30 to 40, low 40%. What would you say is that range of doing well, anything above what percentage? I mean, and it's different for everybody, but for you. It is different for everybody. I mean, if you got to pay, if you're paying a property manager, yeah. you know, and, and obviously you've got that in your performa. I mean, I have my hybrid model, right? Yep, yep. Where I pay about 3% yep. for a, an operations manager and I'm still the property manager. Yep. So I save a ton of money there. Mm-hmm. You know, my 40%, if I was paying 20%, would be down to 20%, yeah. right? It'd be a very different return. Um, but yeah, 20%. As an investment property, if you're not doing much, it's fantastic. It looks a lot better than the stock market. I mean, the stock market, you're losing money right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, even a great, you know, a a really good stock market year is 10%. Yep. You know, with an average being around 7 to 8%. Yep. So, even if you're hitting that, you know, you get a lot of benefits from real estate as an investment that you don't get from the stock market. Yeah, and that's that's another thing to hit on people. when, When times get hard... When there's a potential recession, when there's fear and uncertainty, a lot of people become risk averse, which means I want to exit into cash, I want to hold cash, I want to hold on reserves. When you know the contrary investor says, "Hey, when everyone else is fearful, I need I how how can I be aggressive within reason?" So I'm not putting myself on the street, but you know it's kind of like when we had massive fires five years ago in Reading. It was a bummer for everybody. It didn't affect you or I personally, but the my first thing my mind thought of is there's a ton of burn properties west of town that are probably going to go for super cheap. And I immediately went into this hunter mentality of a, a, a property and a location that I probably couldn't afford with a house that was there, I could probably afford it now. So I, thinking differently about crisis, about risk, is, is I think a competitive advantage to someone trying to get ahead. Now, right now, we're looking to go, you know, potentially go into further recession. Um, little, little update, I, I'm in the process of, of just closing on a property now. Uh, but this idea of challenging, this idea of when things get hard, that you go inward and try to insulate yourself and stay in cash and don't take risks. Uh, when it comes to a lot of investments, that might be true. Uh, personally, uh, you know, precious metals and real estate are two of my three kind of legs of the stool that I, I, I have leaned on and I go back and forth on. But, you know, real estate in and of itself has performed very well throughout markets, market highs, market lows. It, st- it stays very stable relative to other asset classes. Um, and so being, being wanting to be a country investor, like I look for buys, like right? as soon as we start looking back in the back 
early summer, we started talk, we're talking about the market starting to change. We're, we're seeing that, you know, back in la a year ago, things were still flying off the shelf. People were still buying. They're buying hard. Um, and then when it started to shift, my, my first thought was, all right, how, how long are, are things staying on the market? And what are people willing to do to move their, their, their product or their inventory? And like we always say, it comes back to the purpose, the vision of why you have it, understanding where people are at and seeing if there's a willingness on, on two parties to make a deal. Um, but yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts though before I jump into you know, the, the current deal that I'm, I'm working or I'm in right now of, of cash versus other assets versus real estate uh, right now in, in the market? Yeah, so, so real estate is interesting and, and, and there's, you'll listen to many pundits out there that will say real estate value is coming down nationally. And I think, I think there's truth to that. I think there is going to be a reduction in, in value, meaning the price, the price point on homes is going to come down slightly. Yep. Now, some markets are going to get hit really hard. Now, these are the markets that bubbled up yep. significantly. So we're talking about, just to name a few of the ones that everybody's talking about, you know, Phoenix mm -hmm. being one, Boise, Idaho, Austin. Seattle, Austin. Nashville. Maybe Nashville, maybe. Um, but these are the ones that bubbled up. And so we've already seen some of these places have 20% reductions yep. already. That has not happened here yep. in Reading. So we we had a rise, but we didn't have like a mass in, in you know, a mass growth, a lot of it due to immigration. Yeah. Um, migration or immigration? Migration. Okay. Migration. Sorry. I mean, Sorry. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, immigration is yeah. migration too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Just country versus state. So. Um, so some of those have already, you know, and, and I know people who are buying in those markets and are yeah. still doing really well. There's yeah. a way to buy in a market that even, you know, drops significantly. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so and and so other areas are going to go flat yeah. for a while and might go flat for a year or two. Yeah. But even if there is a reduction, so say here in Reading, you know, if there's a reduction in, in value, if I'm not trying to sell a property and I'm still cash flowing 30 to 40%, doesn't matter. I'm still making money. Yeah. Yep. Right? Mm hmm You know? And and then if, if, if for, for say, it doesn't mean you can't sell. So say I find a deal because prices have gone down significantly. Yeah. And it's harder to sell something. And if I, so if I see something out there on the market that I really like, mm -hmm. I'd be willing to sell a property. Yep. In order to exchange into that. Yeah. If it has better cash flow for me. Yeah. Or level up into something bigger. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean you can't. It's just you're just going to have to reevaluate things. I mean, I, I am going to be reevaluating all of my properties going, you know, throughout this, this, this next cycle and saying, hey, is this a good thing to keep? Yeah. Or is it not a good thing to keep right now? Yeah. You, you know, you're trying to better your hand. Always looking at it to better your hand. And mm -hmm. we talk a lot about cash on cash and the opportunity cost of staying in a property versus diversifying out depending on the market. Um, yeah, so I, I think all that is, is, is legit. I think it's also interesting that if either you're in, an investor or you have supplemental cash to invest, you're looking for somewhere to invest, or you're a first-time investor and an unsure where to invest first or where to migrate to, uh, it is interesting that our, our small town of 100,000 people, have, have, we've been insulated on both ends. Uh, we, yeah. did, we didn't inflate to the degree that metros did throughout the state. 
but also too, we're insulated on the on the low ends too, where we stay in a pretty safe range relative to the quote unquote hot spots or the more flashy spots that people really think of. Yeah, which I think is an advantage to small town living. And if you can find a small town living in general proximity to a major city, but that has the the assets, either natural assets um, or community or whatever it is, like if it has a pull, I'm, I'm thinking of like uh, Indian Wells or Palm Springs or uh, um, what's the concert out in the desert? Coachella, Coachella Valley. Like it has a pull, it has a purpose, and people will always go there for that purpose, right? And they, they make a ton of money, but they're not a big town, but they have a draw. And yeah, I mean, here's, here's a little free quick, quick tip for y'all. Like if you want to invest in a really rad place, like go find a, a, a super popular state or national park yep. in your area. Where people there's a and, and there's a ton of visitors there all year and find a town that's kind of like one of the gateway towns on one end of it that you can get into it and yep. kind of go look at these towns and see which ones are cool which one has a good vibe which one you're like oh this could pop you know yep. make sure you check out the regulations what's there and what's not yeah and if you get a property in there like you could crush yeah and if you have multiple we have we have state parks on three sides of us we have mountain ranges on three sides of us yeah so we're a gateway. We're, we're, we're a gateway to a, to dozens of, of sports and entertainment that people might not think about initially, but when it comes to kind of butts in seats, bookings confirmed, it works. It yeah. works really well, right? And so um, so we're not necessarily saying move to, move to Redding, California, but it's interesting being in sales and business development for 15 years, being on the road periodically, meeting with high-end um, executives, and they're telling me that their financial advisors are telling them to look in Redding, California to invest. Hmm. And it's so I'm like, wow. I'm like, we like we think it's cool because we live here and we're and we're continuing to build it the 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 the, the, the you know culture that we want. But you know th these towns and opportunities are out there all over the place if you're open to moving and or taking a little more effort to go and figure it out. So uh, update on me. Yeah, let's hear it. So I, I think we, we, we talked about a little bit is, you know, I'm, we're always hunting, we're always looking, we're always researching. Um, so I was, I, I was the last three or four leads or so, I, I think I, I talked about in one of our last podcasts that I tracked down a guy via LinkedIn, I saw he was painting his house, I met with him for coffee, uh, he wanted about 500 grand, wasn't willing to sell, but open to selling, and I'm like, all right, I'll pass. I had a lead on 17 acres out by uh, Whiskey Town for, uh, right. for 56000 uh, And I got there about two weeks too late. They were already in verbal uh, contract negotiations with someone. And they sold it. But I was, I was really stoked about having something to, to build out. I thought it was a really – right on the river, right on uh, Iron Mountain Road. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So that one fell through. And then you, you texted me uh, a house that was in – one of the best neighborhoods in Reading. Mm -hmm. uh, that on, on on the pictures online looked really crappy, and if you looked at Bonzillo, it was a shithole. Yeah, for sale by owner. For sale by owner, so it wasn't on the, it wasn't on the market, and so I, I you know, we do what we always do. I call I called her up. This old lady looking to, just retired. Her husband's in her in the, in, in his seventies. His her husband's a builder out of Monterey, high end builder out of Monterey. Bought it for their kids. And this goes into every property has a story. Everyone's in a different circumstance. Um, but, you know, having a cup of coffee and getting to know what their goals are, right, is this part of this process. He's a builder, bought it for his sons, eventually was going to let their sons live there until they were ready to retire. It was going to be their retirement house. 
he went in there, built it from the ground up, rebuilt it from the ground up. Um, and it, it's awesome. Basically, it's, it's move-in ready. It has been rented for the last two years. They got a low-ball offer on it for uh, – so the market the – mar- they wanted 380 for it. So they were posting it on Craigslist for 380 which is the, the ad you sent me. And 380 in Reading is – it's middle of the road, right? But for the neighborhood that was in, super cheap. Yeah, and I know, and I know this neighborhood because we live close to this neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and we know we know the 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 value, both short term and long term, of this neighborhood. So I was very comfortable with the location, very desirable. I knew I knew it, it would crush from a rental perspective. I didn't know the bones, and I didn't know whether uh, the state of the detached garage that was part of it. Right. I, I did know it was on a corner lot next to a park, which was really cool. Uh, but the property itself was very unique. It has yards on both sides. It's, it's a, a little over a quarter of an acre total. Uh, so a lot of a lot of specs that were really interesting. I went and talked to her, did a walkthrough. Uh, things look great inside. The exterior needed a little bit of stucco or, or needs a little bit of stucco and a paint job, but ready to go. Yeah. The garage itself um, needs n- needs work, but all I needed it to be was a shelf for a potential ADU which we brought in a couple of our friends and confirmed that it's going to work great for that. So all the things that checked off, turning one door into two, location, and then the next thing is the deal itself. Because interest rates were rising, it was putting pressure on the market. So I went in, they wanted 380. The, the, the husband was so emotionally invested, you know, they spent two years renovating this thing, um, that he, he really thought it was worth $400,000 because that's, that's what he... You put into it, right? They bought it for, I don't know what they bought it for. But um, but she wanted out of it. It was a headache for them. So I, I said, my gut, I didn't do a ton of research, but I said, hey, I said, my gut's telling me this is worth about 340 If anyone offers you less than that, talk. let me know. And that's that's why I left the first conversation. I went on Zillow after that, and it was listed for 339 So I'm like, all right, cool. But the pictures on Zillow were the un, were the uh, pre-renovated pictures, so it still looked like a shit show on Zillow. So I'm like, well, that's great for me too. Yeah, so bad marketing, over there. bad marketing. Well, they're, 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 Your game, yeah, my <laughs> game, my game. And so, uh, so they went on vac. I think they went on vacation. I went on vacation. I came back. I did some more research. Um, got pre-approved for 320. I put together a a deck for her, a presentation deck of where the market's at now. Um, what the market is projected to do, and then week over week, Zillow was going down by three thousand dollars, and so I was able to give three or four weeks in a row. And you're just using Zillow. I'm just using Zillow. And they're yeah. buying it. And they're totally Zillow. buying it. Yeah, Shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know because <laughs> Zillow already undervalues, uh, and then in our neighborhood, it, it it really undervalues the neighborhood that it was in, right? So, um, so I was able to put together this uh, this narrative of, hey, you're wanting to sell. The market's saying you might want you might want 380, and I might want to give you 380, but the market's only validating 340 minimum. It was built as a three bedroom, three bathroom, and the guy through his his builder, he actually made one of the bathrooms in, next to the kitchen a pantry. And so I said, hey, it's going to cost me twenty five thousand dollars to restore that third bathroom, which I would like to do. Um, so I just put together a business case, right? You know, and I said, hey, my offer is 315, and I let it sit, and she had to go and play politics with her husband who wanted 380 for it and she came back and, and she said he you know he says nothing nothing lower than 320 and i said shit i just saved myself sixty thousand yeah. dollars this is perfect this is a great starting point to this to this conversation 
And so I said, all right, well, let me talk to my wife. I went back and I, and I looked at what else, what else I can do. I said, well, all right, well, there's some stucco work. There's some stuff on the outside that's going to, like, you know, it's going to cost me money that, uh, that I'd like to, to have you cover or split with you. Um, and so she said, how about we get a, I said, I suggested, how about I go get some pricing for how much that stucco patch would be? Uh, she said, great. And she was willing to split that cost with me, but do it offline so her husband didn't know. So it was a very interesting dynamic <laughs> between them of him being very stubborn on, on getting, you know, a good price for it. Her just wanting to get it off of the books because it was in her name. So the dynamics were interesting because I was negotiating with a, a, a retired healthcare worker wife with a very stubborn husband that wasn't involved at all. He's in his 70s, and he's also a no-permit, F-the-government guy as well. So that's why they're for sale by owner, which was in my benefit. Yeah, he didn't want to pay a real estate agent. He didn't want to pay an agent, right? And so, but on, but on the... Pros and cons to that. There's yeah. pros and cons to that. And, but the other thing, too, is this idea of, uh, I mean, the attic, spotless. Underneath the house, spotless. Brand new plumbing. I mean, all of it, I'm like, from an inspection standpoint, I'm like, I feel very confident about the state of the house from an yeah. inspection standpoint, uh, even like like past all of it, I'm like, I feel really confident that it's moving ready from the inside. So I went back to her and said, hey, the stucco patch is gonna cost, I think, 1200 bucks. Let's, can't, would, would you want to split it? And my, my counter offer is 317. And I'll give you $5,000 in earnest money. I'm willing to give that to you in advance if you're willing to commit to my price point of 317. And she said, let's get it done. Nice. And so, um, and so I'm, I'm getting it. So it was listed for 380, and I'm getting a loan at 312 um, on it. Which for that neighborhood, there's houses a block away that are going for low fours um, easily right now. And so I think I'm gonna have about 80 to 100k in instant equity, and I'm gonna put 20% down on it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have instant equity in the house. But better than that. I already have the stucco guy and my painting guys lined up for, for a week and a half from now. So as soon as I close it, I'm going to have them out there. I'm going to try to turn it, furnish it and turn it within less than 30 days would be the goal to get it online. And so, uh, so that's the, the latest update on my portfolio. Um, and this is a property that is really unique. And I'd like, and like, and I would like to push pause and have you, because I'm, I'm gonna have to go to this. I'm gonna have to go to the city and get a, a per, uh, the permit. But the, the steps of like, hey, going to this, going to your local municipalities, we, we covered that off on that off a little bit. But the property is unique, is because it not only has a detached garage, but because of the new density laws, there is a potential that I would like to kind of follow this story through for the podcast listeners of introducing the new density laws to our own city. Yeah, it's helpful that we have some friends on the planning committee the housing planning committee uh, that we're hopefully going to have on the show in the near future. Um, but if I can turn the garage into an ADU mm -hmm. with about $50,000, which I can hopefully just refi that, you know, front the cost and refi it out of that, but then follow the laws through to petition the city to subdivide the property, which currently isn't large enough to traditionally subdivide. Right. Um, but if we can petition it that was there and it had an ancillary structure on it that was not permitted, but there's precedent for water stuff going to other parts of the property to see if we can get the property subdivided and if we can, add two more ADUs onto that property. So the goal of the property is, is initially turning one door into two yeah. with the overall goal of develop, developing it, depending on kind of what the market's doing and where money is at, 
like in the next two to three years to see if we can turn it into four properties. Right? Yeah. So what you're referring to is is uh, California Code SB nine Senate Bill nine yep. passed at the beginning of this year, which essentially is trying to get more density to solve the long term housing crisis in California. So a new code that would potentially allow could take the old code of taking a single family home and adding an ADU. Yep. And then you'd be able to split that lot mm-hmm. into two and essentially add an ADU to either side of it. Yep. In addition. Yep. Um, there's there's some little caveats to it in rules about you know how much the lot you know what percentage of the lot can be split and how big it is and yeah. this hasn't been done in Reading but yeah. like ADUs you know it took some time for those things to come on in the cities every municipality has to adhere to California law yep but they have to figure out what that looks like yeah in their own city and so it's going to take somebody maybe you might be me I went down and asked uh, how I, how I figured out what it was zoned for now. And, and they didn't say no. They said, no one has brought this to our attention. So my boss's boss hasn't had to deal with it yet. Um, check back with us or submit something. That's yeah. kind of where it was at. Yeah, so yeah, you do your ADU first. Yeah, do the ADU first. And then, mm-hmm. at that point, if you want to go for it, you you put together a plan. Yep. And submit to add two more. Yep. Could be a duplex. Which I'd be, I'd be interested I'd be interested a, a duplex yeah. by... The way that lot works, I mean, I, I, you know, we talked about it. Kind of, yeah. You rip that whole fence out on the park side. Oh yeah. Do a cool duplex. You have parking right in front of it. Super vibey. Oh yeah. Modern. Like it's, that whole that whole that whole lot would be killer. It's it's a and it's a cool lot. I mean, they did cement work in the back. There's a new patio. There's I mean, there's so many parts of it that were like eighty percent done, eighty to ninety percent mm-hmm. done, and like had a vision. Now it is it is from it is a late fifties house, early sixties house. So it has the charm of the, the caramel wood floors, uh, the mantle in the fireplace. I mean, and it has some cool stuff to it that just needs some can lights and a coat of paint and, you know, let's get it on. Let's get it on. So, yeah, uh, so yeah that's going to be fun, kind of talking through with you uh, the process of uh, inventorying what is needed, making yeah. make an Ikea trip, understanding where, what, the, what the steps are there. I wouldn't recommend Ikea. All right. All right. So that's an official non-endorsement from Booking yeah. Uh, you don't want to put all that stuff together. That might be an interesting podcast if people want to hear it of like brands, like brands and uh, how to ca- buy, how to furnish a unit. Yeah, or categories and brands, or categories uh, that to think through, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's an exciting thing. And then we also got our our personal ADU at our primary in our basement final. And, awesome. And on and it's not online yet, but. We got it final. So that what does that mean, final? So everybody can know. Um, yeah. So uh, if you if you're gonna go the fully permitted route of renovation uh, with your city, municipalities, etc. Which you should if you're adding space. If you're adding space. Square if footage. Yeah. If you're just adding a wall to an existing footprint of a house, not yes. necessarily needed. Um, the way that our house was laid out is that on the on the kind of the second the. The downstairs portion, because you walk into the, the top story and you, and you go downstairs, um, a quarter of it was originally designed as a, uh, a patio. And so it was designed upstairs in front with a, a covered patio for parking, but also downstairs in the backyard, there, it was also a covered patio that they, a long time ago, enclosed in, but there was no foundation in there. They just kind of put bricks and sand in there. And so it's not conditioned space. And so unconditioned space is technically a patio. 
If you want to condition the space, you can add the square footage to your house. Um, and when you add square footage, you have to be just aware that when uh, adding square footage and getting the delineation of an ADU it kind of encases that square footage in the ADU. So meaning that I added, I conditioned, say, 400 square feet by, by conditioning that covered patio. My house was already 3,400. So so I, so regularly that would be, I would have a 27 square, 2,700 square foot house. But because I took one of the rooms downstairs, added it to that now conditioned space, I made a 550 square foot one bedroom one bath ADU which takes away from my total square footage or my original square footage. So now I, I actually don't have a 2,400 square foot house. I have a 22 and change square foot primary house and a 550 square foot ADU. So uh, that, that's not really for short-term rental operators if you're gonna keep the house. It doesn't matter to you from a rentability standpoint, but from an assessment value standpoint and a resale value standpoint, it, it can, it, depending on where you're at, Appraisers and other things don't know how to quantify that change. But final just means you, you went through the permitting process. And yeah, yeah. The well, inspector came out, and that's the last thing. Last thing. Yeah. So, that, so there's different there's different inspections that you have to do throughout the process: drywall, electrical, plumbing. But your final inspection is, hey, this this is a livable space. Um, the city deems it as ready to go and be lived in. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's nothing stopping me. Well, I need a, I need a, to build a staircase. Uh, which I'm gonna have built, but there's nothing stopping me from getting that unit rented out. Um, so that's that's a big deal. So we'll have, you know, a an investment property uh, nightly in the ADU at the primary, and then start working on the ADU at the, the investment property. So yeah, awesome man. Yeah, good stuff. I'm busy bro. Busy, busy making deals. Busy making deals. Yeah, yeah. What about you? You got any portfolio updates? Yeah. So kind of like I was mentioning earlier, um, I think I'm, you know, I'm always analyzing what I have and um, you know everybody has a limited amount of capital you know uh, you only have so much cash um, I was out of cash yeah. um, you know all of my investable cash was in properties already and so at that point you have some options you can you know go find an investor yeah. um, you could do you know a syndicate mm-hmm. um, you know from multiple investors you know, or you could recycle cash. And so recycling cash just means basically selling one of your properties. So there's, there's, there's traditional, as I said, the, the most traditional ones would be a refinance, recycling of cash. Yeah, you could, you or, could refi or, or and get a, cash out, do or a cash a, out refi. Or a home equity line of credit. You could do a HELOC. Right. And so these would be ways you could, if you have a bunch of equity in a property, yep. um, you could keep the property. And pull some cash out, Um, but you're not going to be able to get the full amount out. Yeah, because they're going to, you know, a bank's going to require you to leave twenty, thirty percent. Yeah, in there. And also, you know, lines of credit are high right now. Refis are high right now. And so we ended up um, a specific tool to analyze deals that I looked at with this one specifically that we decided to sell. Um, is called uh, return on equity. And so essentially what return on equity does is it looks at how much equity you have in a property and what return are you making on it, right? And so this one specifically, you know, we bought a couple years ago and we bought it for I think like 220. 
Um, we, we bought it as a, a second home loan, so they had to put 10% down. Uh, we have some partners on this one. Um, you know, we probably put about 60 in. So we were in for less than 100 Yeah. on the deal, and it's appreciated to now it's, you know, it cash flowed really well for us for a couple years. This is up in Mount Shasta, um, and now it's worth, you know, 500 Okay. Uh, we're in it. We're in contract for five fifteen. And didn't you also you uh, for for the majority of the time you owned it, you, you I thought the upstairs was was good to go, but the downstairs wasn't necessarily a secondary unit. But recently you got it rezoned. We we um, the upstairs is about a thousand square feet, and there was a uh, semi above grade basement or above grade basement. Okay. Um, that was partially finished. We fully finished it, but it was unpermitted. And so we worked with the city of Mount Shasta um, to get that permitted. So we essentially added square footage. We added about a 700 of permitted square footage. So our house went from a thousand square foot house, two bed, one and a half bath, to a three bedroom, yeah. two and a half bath with an additional kitchenette. Yeah. A kitchen and a kitchenette downstairs. And now 1,700 square feet instead of a thousand square feet. So it, it significantly added value so the fu the fun but the functional value was always there. The resale value was not because it wasn't permitted. Yeah, and we didn't even use the downstairs much in rentals. I think we used it for one guest who had like a nanny they wanted down there. Okay. But um, because it wasn't permitted, there's also some, you know, if you rent out unpermitted space and something happens with the renter, you yeah. have more liability. Uh huh. Um, more, I'm, I'm usually a little bit more willing to do that. One of my partners didn't want to do that. Yeah. And so we never rented it out. So is, but it's not zoned as an ADU. Mm -mm. It's zoned as, as, as house square footage. House square footage, okay. Which, you know, sometimes, and we'll see that, you know, it's out for appraisal right now. Like an appraiser may come back and not give the same value. Yeah. For a basement yep. or an above grade basement that they give for the rest of the house. Yeah. When they're doing their appraisal. Yep. Um, so yeah, so looking at that, you know, we had about, you know, roughly $300,000, mm -hmm. a little over $300,000 in equity yep. sitting in this project yep. where, you know, most of my properties that I have, like all my ones in Reading, for example, I've already refiled them. Yeah. You know, I've refiled them all or I've done HELOCs on them. So I've, I've maxed out during this last cycle when rates were super low in the 3%. Yeah. Um, the amount of cash I could pull out of them, right? So I, I've got the 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 minimal amount of equity that I need in there, and that's yeah. roughly you know twenty to thirty percent, yeah. right? Where this thing has over sixty percent, yeah, equity in there. So I, I, I'm you know the 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 property cash flows well, you know thirty six percent cash on cash for what we have on it. So cash, but cash on cash versus uh, cash a return return on, on equity. equity. So, but the return on the equity yeah. is not as good. And so by recycling this cash, meaning we sell it mm -hmm. and do what's called a 1031 exchange, which is essentially a way to defer long-term capital gains taxes on yep. real estate. So what, what happens is you sell a piece of real estate, you hire a 1031 broker, who essentially the cash goes to this broker who holds it in escrow, and you have 45 days to identify a property and then 180 days to close on that property. Yeah. Um, and then you don't pay your capital gains tax. It gets pushed to the future. Yep. Um, and so 
what we're trying to do is essentially level up into something bigger. And this is in parallel to you and your wife and potentially your partners having an ongoing discussion around your vision and value for your portfolio in kind of the, you know, going from single family home to multi-unit. Yeah, we've been, you know, I think I've shared a number of times, we've been looking at more, um, you know, property similar to the lodge that we have that's yep. eight units. Yep. You know, I like that number, you know, six, eight, 10, 12, you know, up to 20 um, units. And so, yeah, we've been looking, um, you know, and, and I've identified a few and, 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 you know, I'll definitely update you if we... Yeah, I mean, close le- on, leveling up leveling up kind of reminds me of like going from a, a good house to a great house. What you're talking about is, you know, go, taking one house and going to 12 doors, right? And so yeah, that's, like, that's, like, that's, like, that's like scale advance, right? Scale advancing or, or hyper-leveraging the equity, the return on the equity. And, and, I mean, how often do you assess the equity now? Of course, it goes into what you buy it for, what you put into it. How much? What's the market say it's worth, right? But the kind of leveraging that equity, you feel like twenty to thirty percent equity, you, feels really good to you to start leveraging the rest. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we're, you know depending on what our terms are, yeah, with the bank on a new deal, yeah, probably twenty to twenty-five, yeah, will probably be what they require to get us down. And you know, current commercial rates, you know, we originally were quoted at six and a half. It's probably up to seven now, maybe yeah. seven and a half. You know, but depending on our relationship with them, we have some leverage. We've worked with some of these banks here in town. Yeah. We can say, hey, you, you know, there's not a lot of deals. There's yeah, not a lot of deal sure. flow for them. For sure. Yeah. You know, you know we're, we've got really good portfolios, you know, really strong investors. We've done this multiple times. Our partners have a great history as well. Yeah. Like, we can go to multiple banks here. Yeah, you're selling a you deal. Know, and get lending. Yeah. And so it's like, sense. you know, so there's some negotiating power there. Yeah, yeah. You know, where you can be like, you know, I really want to do 20. Yeah. You know, and I want six and a half. Yeah. Like, if you're not open to doing that, I'll go talk to the bank down the street. Yep. And see if I can get something else. Which is which is the idea of knowing your knowing your value and knowing your, le- your leverage points, right? Yeah, and I don't know that we're going to get those terms, but um, we're going to try. Yeah. We're going to try. Um, so yeah, so it's, 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 it's just because it's a buyer's market, it doesn't mean you can't sell. Yeah. And you just got to market it well. Like, like your Zillow story, we had the same thing. We, we did it for sale by owner. Yeah. And when we first listed it on Zillow, Zillow had the, the pre remodel picture. Uh huh. And I, and I, and, uh, you know, one of my partners did the listing and, and I was like, Hey, did you see this picture? It's this old, it was an old yeah. like purple house yeah. and this old tree that covered most of the house. I was like, they still have the old picture. So yeah, she jumped on the phone with Zillow and was like, Hey, we want a new picture. And they're like, actually, you know, you know, we'll update it, but you know, you have to redo the listings. So we're like, fine. So yeah. took it down. Yeah. You know, they updated the picture. We redid it. So that main picture was our new remodeled home. That's, yeah. you know, really cool vibey. Yeah. You know, got cedar, cedar accents and stuff like that. Yeah. So you know, you gotta, you know, if you're gonna do it on your own, it doesn't mean you can't do it for sale by owner. And, yeah. And we had a bunch of offers, and could we have sold it higher if we went on the MLS? Maybe. But we would have had to pay an agent yeah. 3% That's right. to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I mean, we should, we should probably have a whole conversation about to agent or not to agent. I have a whole, based on, I've been doing a lot of searching. Yeah. And being my own agent in searching and negotiating deals, I have a whole new respect for agents right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends on the complexity of the deal, right? So, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm currently negotiating my, my own deal. Yeah. 
And um, it's been really interesting because it's just talking to our lender friends and saying, hey, they, you know, part of this deal with this, you know, this couple is they want, you know, they don't want any agents. They want zero. They, actually, they said like, hey, no, there is no agents. Yeah. We, that, we don't yeah. have an agent and, and I don't want to pay any agent because they're whole like F the government. No, I don't want to, I don't pay the city permitting. I'm not going to ask for permission. Like I'm not going to pay people that I, I don't, have to, I don't have to. Right. So is that mentality? And it's, it's just to jump in real quick. Yeah. It's important to note, typically the seller pays the agent fees. Yeah. Pays both fees. 6%. The seller agent and the buyer's agent, which is roughly about 3% per side, sometimes yeah. a little lower, maybe 2.5%. Mm-hmm. So five to 6%. Yep. But that can be a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A deal. lot of money. So yep. on a hundred thousand dollar home, yeah, that's six thousand dollars for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. No, on a million dollar home, that's sixty thousand. Sixty G's. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not a small amount, which is why I think so many people go into agency, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of our friends that are real estate agents. Um, and it, it was just interesting though talking to her how if you have a willing seller. And you have a willing buyer that are open to having a conversation about what what the bottom line is and what they need. That it becomes a lot less complicated to actually say, "All right, here are the terms." And so I I got a for sale by owner contract, and she had this one page bill of sale she wanted to do, and I'm like, "Well, well, we could do both, but let's sign the for sale by owner contract too, right?" Um, and, and it was, it's been very cordial all, cause all I'm doing is I am doing sales and marketing. I am, I'm doing engagement marketing. I'm saying, who are you? What are your goals? What do you need out of this? And you not only need to sell your house, but you're wanting to create trust with whoever you sell it to. And so I do what I know how to do, which is to align value and to align value. You have to know what they value. And that's, that's a, that's a skill set that I've had to learn over the years. But if you become a value generator, you can sell anything you want anytime you want. But in this process, I, I was surprised that you know my options were just talking to our friend Chris and saying, "Hey, Chris, this is the this is the deal. You got a you got a contract? Yeah, I got a force of Lego on contract for you." I'm like, "All right, cool, give that to me." And I did it, and I had him sign it, and I brought it, and that and starts the process. So it was it almost as suspiciously easy in this context because they were such willing sellers, mm-hmm. and I was able to build that trust with them that we. If there was something that came up, we just they, we just texted about it, or call and had a call about short call about it. But I was really counseling her through the drama she was having with her husband to sell me their house, which is really interesting. So yeah. so it was not complex. Now we've been in other deals that it's very complex, uh, but it all you know if if people have to get a certain amount out of it because their life is leveraged, they have stress on their life, it can get really messy. Which is which is where agents. Are, play a great safeguard or a, a, a gatekeeper for both both sides of the house. But uh, this one, it's almost uh, suspicious how easy it's been to get a deal done. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I think your background probably helps a lot. Yeah. In mm-hmm. this, like like you are you're a sales you do sales. Uh-huh. Yep. You've done that for how many years? Fifteen years. Fifteen years professionally. Yep. You know, doing sales in corporate America, where I don't have that background. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's been really challenging. You know, I've been negotiating with agents primarily on the seller side. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's become frustrating, especially with their buyers just being, 
you know, needy and demanding and frustrating and easy to, hard to deal with and, you know, fluctuating terms and yeah. trickling in terms. And I'm like, by the end of it, I'm like, man, I should have just hired an agent. <laughs> well, or or should I should I hire an agent, or I shouldn't have been uh, pot committed or so emotionally involved, right? There hits a point there where. Well, no, I don't do that. You're, but you're, but I'm saying that a, a lot of people they get emotionally involved in getting the property, right? That they yeah. want that they over leverage their position in, in negotiating. Yeah, the the and this is a really good rule and a really good point to bring up with buying property is is you got to look at these things and hold them with open hands. Yeah. You know, like if you get it, great. If you don't, you're going to be fine. Yeah. This isn't the only one. Yeah. There's going to be others. Yeah. You can find more deals. Yeah. Like there's been plenty of properties that I probably saw and was like this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I can't even remember them now. Yeah, and, I didn't get them. Well, and there's there's the the creativity and vision you have for a property because every property I think you can go into you I think you can get vision for it. You can say, oh, this is where I put the fireplace, and this is what I do here, and I carry this vibe here, and the, like that's that's on that's on your that's your problem, right? The reality though is that most properties, if they're turnkey, you, they're not a good investment. If they're moving ready, they're probably not a good investment. The ones that really need uh, work are usually the, the the diamonds in the rough, the needles in the haystack. They're the best deals are usually the ugliest child on the block. <laughs> they star, right? Because that's it what that, is. It, but it is. Th- like, and I'm and and that's where I'm. But I was I was looking at fixer uppers for five hundred k, and the reason why I was I've been so confident about this deal because I'm like, no, I know the neighborhood. And I have all the data. We've we've done this. We talk about this all the time. Like I know all the steps, and so the the barrier of entry was so low, and the like I, it de, it de-risked itself every step along the way. And I'm like, nah, let's get the deal done. Let's get the deal done. So I was able to add pressure because um, you you know the steps. We talk about the steps all the time, and so I'm like, I I just am so. It's almost like I'm not even like arrogant or or confident. It's almost like I just have a piece like. If it if I can get them to agree to these terms, dude, this is gonna crush it. This is gonna be great. Which yeah. not not every property has that amount of uh, trust or confidence that it warrants. Because if, if, if for at least for me, if I don't tear something down to the studs, like there's still some liability in every property, right? We talked we started this episode of what are you currently working on? You're mm. you're working on liabilities that you overlooked when you bought the house that are now. Uh, they were assets to get into it, but slowly became liabilities over time. And every how anything that ages eventually does decay and need update and work. So every asset has a, a degree of liability in it. And the mo- more you can de-risk before uh, you buy, the better. Which is why people hire agents, and it's why they do you know tons of inspections. That's they're trying to de-risk their their investment. Um, yeah, but we have a lot of agent friends that make a lot of money off of uh, of us going through that process. So, but we love them, and that's part. And they're they're a valuable part of the process. In case they're listening, we, we love you. <laughs> we know your value. Uh, anything else before we uh, wrap up? Yeah, we're we're fifty four minutes into this, fifty five minutes into this. Anything else? No, it's a good um, good episode, man. I'm, I'm I'm glad you're yeah you're 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 moving you're moving a couple pieces down the. Down the track, you know, got yeah. your ADU done, yeah. you know, an escrow on another one, yeah. like, yeah. it's really exciting, Dennis. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun winter. Um, yeah. 
No, I'm I'm gearing up for buying season here coming in 2023. Like, I'm ready to like. All and all we're hearing. Go for it. So so this is another thing around buying seasons coming. So winter is when you do the hard work, right? Yeah. Uh, To enjoy summer and and all we're hearing from the market and from the media is, you know, markets going down. We're going to recessions. You know, pinch your pennies. Do all this stuff. And it's like time to buy. And I'm like, why are is the narrative. Who's benefiting from the narrative? Now, I'm not going to tell the listeners what to believe or how to believe, but it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, for the average person, mm-hmm. they're listening to the average advice. But, you know, wealthy people, they go find the experts or they become the experts. So the, the, time, that, the time that money changes hands is in downturns. This is when money changes hands. Money doesn't yep. change hands in upswings. Yep. It changes hands in downturns. The last very short downturn we had mm-hmm. was COVID. Yeah. And and if you were active mm-hmm. during COVID, you made a lot of money. Yeah. Well I made I built my entire portfolio. You did and in COVID. And I think these these sharp downturns, it's interesting too, because you have long term uh you know, I, I know a lot of property managers that or I know a couple of property managers that have they're kind of the set it and forget it for 20 year guys. They own a couple of apartment buildings and they just live off it. They don't update them. They don't renovate them. They don't add value. It's just like, no, like, yeah, rent's 500 bucks a month and it's super cheap. It's a shithole, but that's my life. That's and that's it. one way to do it. Right. You're not going to build a portfolio. You can live on it. It's not going to grow. And it's, you're, you're stacking up more and more liabilities yep. from deferred maintenance. Um, you're probably not going to get the value out of a resale. And and now you're banking on the timing of the market that there's going to be an upswing. Well, the boom bust cycles are interesting too. Every ten to sixteen years or so, we have we have cycles in real estate and in economics and a lot of other things. And and yeah, every, markets have cycles. Every every ten to fifteen years, that's technically a generation. It's a generation born and, and you know going into high school. It's a generation of, of of investors that are getting that much older and probably wanting to de-risk their portfolio. So. Every boom and bust cycle, like a lot of people wanted to de-risk in COVID. They want, I want, you know, I'm older, I'm retired. I want to sure myself up for the rest of my life. And they're willing to cut deals and being ready for both of those seasons is important. But, you know, I just got some, you know, landscaping delivered to my house right now. And I'm like, my yard in summer is going to look fucking awesome because the work, the work's net now, right? The work to do the research, to understand your market, to continue to hunt around the, the the targeted areas that you've figured out in your area that you're willing to self manage that are within the proximity of your you know life living that you want to do like now's the time to sure up your buy box now's the time to sure up what your values are now's the time to keep dry powder like you know I'm 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 gonna go ahead and deploy a lot of dry powder that I have right now so but I'm I'm doing it what on on the the best investment that I think is gonna take me for the next five years five to ten years or so. I think it's I think it's a great investment, right? And so it's like you can hold cash and feel really safe that you can have a lifestyle, or you can take a risk, or you can diversify somewhere in between. Uh, everyone's in a different place, but you know you're gonna live the life that you that you want to live based off your choices. That's just what happens. You're you know what is a actions will always express priorities. It's mm, deep. It is deep, man. I'm a philosopher at heart. I'm not to, I'm not to sit on that one. Sit on that one. So uh, with that, thank you for listening. As as always, nothing we say is financial advice. Nothing we say is legal advice. Um, nothing we say is uh, I don't know anything else we can get sued for. Advice. Uh, these are all our personal opinions. 
Um, we are we do this podcast for fun. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, until the next time, Dennis and Christian out. See ya.